All right. Amen. Good evening. And uh, welcome tonight to um, uh, Discipleship Counselor Training Class number 17. Amen. Uh, John Mark is uh, here in the room with me tonight. And um, we were both trying to figure out if uh, I had an open mic when we first started or not. So uh, if you heard me blow my nose during the countdown, so it's a little embarrassing, but we might as well go ahead and uh, put it out there. Praise God. But I am blessed and healed and strong and uh, um, recovering from any lingering symptoms and I feel much better uh, tonight than I did on uh, last Wednesday. And so, so uh, very, very thankful for that. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray and um, we'll get into uh, the preliminaries for tonight's class. Father, thank you. For your great love for us, thank you, Father, for this time together. Lord, thank you for the technology that uh, makes all this possible. Lord, that I can sit here in a studio in Hueytown, Alabama, Father, and be able to speak uh, to your people tuning into this uh, broadcast, Father, uh, literally around the world. And so, Father, we uh, uh, thank you for this uh, technology, for the uh, resources to purchase it, Father. And Lord, we thank you tonight that it's going to work. Uh, to your glory, Father, to perfection. And so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your anointing, Lord, uh, not just upon me to share the word tonight, but, Father, your anointing upon every person listening to receive your word tonight. Lord, I thank you that you are building truth into our lives line upon line, line upon line. Father, just like a, a mason laying brick, Father, your Holy Spirit is laying the truth of your word, Father, deep within the fabric of our being. And, Lord, I thank you, Father, that we're hearing and we're receiving and we're believing and your word, Father, is renewing our minds, transforming our lives and making a difference, Lord, in the world around us. So, Father, we thank you once again for this evening, this time together. We thank you, Father, that your word will come forth in clarity and in truth and, Father, that it will uh, bring glory and honor to you as it produces its works in our lives. And we thank you for that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Well, um, tonight... We have um, class number 17, and uh, the subtitles, uh, What is Man? Part 4. And to give you a little clue as to what we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about spirit beings tonight. Uh, so what is man? Part 4 uh, and uh, spirit beings. So we are uh, focusing in on a fundamental question. When I say fundamental, we could also substitute the word foundational. And by foundational, I, I mean foundation for life itself. Um, I talk a lot about living our best lives, um, but you know, there's only so far we can uh, go and only so far we can live, so to speak, as, as far as the, the life that God created us to live without the understanding and truth of God working in our lives. Uh, Jesus said in John 8 that, <clears throat> that if we continued in his word, we'd be his disciples indeed, we'd know the truth, and uh, the truth would make us free. And so. Uh, we, we talk about discipleship as an uncommon commitment, uh, and among other things, it's an uncommon commitment to know the truth um, as we find it in God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to bring that truth, uh, you know, to the forefront of, of, of our lives. Um, sometimes I, I pray for myself and for others that the Word of God would become so much a part of us that it would influence our personalities, uh, not just something that we know about and can talk intelligently about, but something that, that becomes a, a part of us, that, that you know, Jesus was the Word of God made flesh. He's the living, breathing expression of, of the Word of God and, and, the, and the thoughts and thinking of God, and that God's Word would, would, would become you know, a part of us in that same way. 
Jesus said that what's in your heart in abundance is going gonna, is gonna to come out of your mouth. And um, I heard Pastor Bill Winston, one of my favorite preachers, say that if you squeeze the ketchup bottle, ketchup comes out. Amen. And uh, what's, what comes out of you when you're squeezed by life, amen, is what's in you in abundance. And so when the Word of God is, is in us in abundance, it's, it's what comes out of us automatically. It's our response to, to, to challenging situations. It's our response to symptoms in our bodies. Um, not uh, things like the world says, I'm trying to catch a cold, I'm coming down with this, whatever, but, but that we respond with the Word of God, um, that by His stripes we were healed, and if we were healed, we are healed. And we're not denying that we're feeling poorly, but we're denying sickness is right to exist in our bodies. And so, anyway, I'm kind of straying over into our Sunday morning sermon series, What Shall We Say to These Things? But, but we want the Word of God to, to, to be in us and a part of us so that it, it literally influences the way we respond to the things that we face and deal with in life. So we said a fundamental or foundational question, what is man? We said you'll never know who you are until you know what you are. And so we've got to answer this question, what, what is man, in order to answer who is man. Uh, but then we said you'll never know why you are until you know who you are. So why you are, who you are, what you are. So this is uh, about as foundational, as fundamental, as far as our existence is concerned, our origin is concerned, um, as we can go in, uh, in the Word of God. Just a couple of quick reviews. Uh, before we get into some new uh, territory, um, we said that uh, answering this question, what is man, and answering it correctly is critically important because it provides the foundation for the next two questions, who am I, why am I? And we also said that a failure to understand and embrace the truth concerning what you are will make it impossible to ever fully know who you are and why you are. Now, I'm not going to go back over the things that we covered because we covered a lot of ground on last uh, class last Wednesday night together, but I do just want to remind you just one more time that when we talk about being a God class being, matter of fact, let me go ahead and put that that up tonight. We said um, just answering this question, what is man? And the first thing we've said is that that number one, man is a God class being. Man is a God class being. Now, I'm going <clears> to <throat> tell you like I told the folks at the beginning of class last week. If this is your first class with us, welcome. Uh, and we're thankful that you're here, and you're welcome to stay with us throughout the balance of this class, but we're going to talk about some things that are potentially controversial, and we're going to talk about those things as if they're not. First of all, because when you know what the Word of God says about them, it eliminates the controversy. Um, <clears throat> but we're talking about them as if they're common knowledge because we've already spent, in some cases, the better part of two hours uh, you know, digging into the Word of God and, and really seeing what not seeing what the Word has to say about these things, not traditions, not religion, not denominations, but what does the Word have to say? What does God have to say about these things? And so when we say man is God class being, this is something that we have spent the better part of, I think, three classes now establishing what we mean by that and what that is. So if you're taken aback by that, and especially if this is your first class with us, you might want to drop back into class maybe 14, 15, 16, look at, look at some of those, and then you know, catch this one in the archive. But uh, anyway, I'm not trying to discourage you from tuning in. I'm just saying there's some things that we've covered that really, I think, solidify this point and what we mean um, by it. But the Bible's very clear that we were created by God in His image and in His likeness. We were created to look like He looks and to function like He functions. Um, we see in Scripture where we were made just a little bit lower than God Himself. 
and that God uh, created us in light of a purpose, and that purpose uh, involves fellowship with Him. He wanted to have intimate relationship with you. He, he literally wants to become one with you, and you become one with Him, Him and you, and you and Him. And so, because that was His purpose before He ever created us, He created us in light of that purpose. In other words, He created us in such a way as to be able to fulfill that, and, and, to, and to become one with Him, to become partners with Him, to become literally the body of Christ, as we covered last week, to become um, you know, sons and daughters of God, to be seated together with Jesus in, in heavenly places, to be a part of the family business, to become a co-laborer together um, with God in, in all of these things. And so uh, you know, it's not that we demanded this. Um, it's, it's not that you know, I told God either create me this way or don't create me at all. This was all his doings. And so the most important thing for you and me is, is to understand you know, what God's ways are, what God's thoughts are, and he's revealed them to us in his word, and then submit ourselves to that, to, 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 to bring ourselves into alignment with him, into agreement with him, uh, rather than disagree with God's purposes and plans and ultimately your origin, the way he created you, is to find out what that is, uh, be in awe of it, be amazed by it, um, be humbled by it, but ultimately submit yourself to it um, and embrace it and lay hold of it. This is what we mean by we've got to know what we are before we can ever have a foundation in place that will support who we are and then a foundation in place to support why we are on um, top of that. Now, let me bring you back over <clears throat> because we're going to move on to number two. What is man? Number one, we said man is a God-class being. Number two, the one we're going to talk about tonight and maybe another if we get to it, is that man is a spirit being. So man is a God-class being. What is man? Number one, man is a God-class being. Number two, man is a spirit being. I'm going to say it one more time. Man is a spirit being. Now, if I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper and a, and a pen and make me a list of all the spirit beings that you are aware of, okay, um, I'll go ahead and, and give you some clues, okay, number one, the Bible says God is a spirit being, so God would be on the list, we know that angels are spirit beings, and of course we know that demons are fallen angels, and that they're spirit beings, um, but as many times as I've asked people to, to, to do this little exercise, rarely does anyone put man on that list, in other words, we often think of spirit beings as being God and angels and demons, but we do not tend to think of ourselves as being a spirit being. Yet the Bible teaches and the reality is you are a spirit being. Now, we'll cover this in just a few moments, at least introduce it in, in a few moments. Um, you are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit. You possess what the Bible calls a soul, and your spirit and soul are contained within a physical body. So you do have a physical body, but you are not a physical body. You are a spirit living inside of a physical body. Now, when we go back to, and we're not going to turn there tonight, but, but let me just uh, refresh your thinking on it, okay? When we go back to when Adam and Eve sinned, we see that <coughs> Excuse me. We see that among other things, one one of the um, 
uh, effects, the fallout, if you will, of their sin, was that they realized they were that they were naked, and um, and they were trying to clothe themselves. They were trying to cover um, their their nakedness. Uh, I'm offering to you tonight that Adam and Eve were so aware that they were uh, spirit beings that they were unaware. Um, of their flesh, of their physical body, um, until they sinned. And of course, we know that when they sinned, their sin separated them from God. And it was in that moment that they became um, self-aware. They became aware um, of their uh, physical body. Now, I know that this requires the use of the imagination that Father God gave us, but it, it seems so strange even to think about being so aware of your spirit that you're unaware um, of your uh, physical body. Um, we, we mentioned this uh, several classes back, but do you remember when the Lord allowed the Apostle Paul to go into the third heaven? And after he returned, um, he was you know, testifying what he was allowed to, to tell about. He, he was telling about that experience, but he couldn't recall, he, he didn't know um, if his body made that trip or not. In other words, in heaven, in the presence of God, he was so aware of, of his true self, his, his spirit, um, that he was unaware, didn't know um, if his body went along for the ride or not. Now, again, this seems very strange to us, but we've come so far from how we were originally created to live that we now have so many people on planet Earth that are so aware of their physical bodies but are unaware of their spirit or that they even have a spirit. So, you know, we look at it as a strange thing that Adam and Eve were so spiritually aware that they didn't know they had a body. And heaven looks at us, you know, like, you know, how can you not know that you are a spirit that you possess or you know not just possess a spirit but um, but have um, a spirit now let me just go ahead and, and tell you tonight that Satan is hoping you never see yourself as a spirit being Satan is hoping you never see yourself as a spirit being and, I, and I'm, I'm telling you that tonight because it's going to take a lot of classes even classes that are still in our future when we talk about our new birth and, 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 and these sorts of things. But remember, when you're born again, it's your spirit that's born again, not your body, not your soul, it's your spirit. And the reason Satan is hoping you never see yourself as a spirit being is because he, he, he wants you to only think of yourself as being a flesh being, as a physical being. Because so many of his strategies involve trying to deceive you into and entice you into living for your flesh, living by your flesh, depending upon um, your physical ability, um, trying to use your physical ability, your physical ability to control things and to manipulate things and so forth and so on. And he never wants it to become revealed to you that you truly are a spirit being. Now, I, this did not originate with me. It, it's such a brilliant uh, concept and such a brilliant thought that, um, you know, I wish I knew who said this first because I would love to give them credit for it. I don't know who said this, but um, 
the, the idea is that so many people see themselves, even people in the church, even, even saved people, they, they tend to view themselves, listen very carefully now, they tend to view themselves as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. So we know, I mean, there's all kinds of folks, you know, that use um, illicit drugs, you know, mind-altering, mood-altering drugs, mushrooms. I mean, they do it in an effort to try to have some kind of weird spiritual experience. And, and um, <clears throat> again, our, our world is, is so full of deception, um, you know, in these areas. So when I say people trying to have a spiritual experience, I'm not just talking about uh, an experience with the true and living God. I'm talking about, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, things like astrology and palm reading and spirit mediums and fortune tellers and, 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 and all of these sorts of things. And so, by the way, stay away from that stuff. Get, you don't need to counterfeit when you have access to, to, the, to the true and to the, and to the real and the living God. But, but again, people tend to see themselves, I'm going to say it one more time, people tend to see themselves as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience when the reality is you are a spirit being experiencing a physical reality so we are spirit beings inside of a physical body and we are experiencing a physical reality so not a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience but you are a spirit being experiencing a physical reality. Now, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this, but I've got you know, some verses that really lay the groundwork for this truth. And so I'm going to, um, I'm going to start putting those up. I may not swap back um, uh, away from the uh, overlays until I go through several of these, but let's, let's at least start here. John chapter 3 and verse number 6. John chapter 3 and verse number 6. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he's drawing a distinct difference between what's flesh and what's spirit. Let's go now to James chapter 2 and verse number 26. James chapter 2 and verse number 26. Here the Word of God says, For as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also. Um, now, you know, clearly this verse was used to teach us some things about faith and, and doing works by faith, but he's using a given to teach something new. What he's teaching is faith without works is dead, and he's using something that is well established in the scriptures, and that is the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also. Let's go back into the Old Testament now. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 7. It says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Let me, um, let me come back to you on the screen for just, for just a moment, okay? I've got a few more verses that we're going to look at, but um, one of the ways that, that I try to explain this idea of you are a spirit being living inside of a physical body 
is the, uh, is the simple idea of a hand in a glove. And if, if you take a glove and just, you know, pick it up like this, well, the glove just hangs lifeless. But when you slide your hand in it, now all of a sudden it appears that the glove came alive, okay? Um, but we know very quickly that if you take the hand out of the glove, the glove once again becomes lifeless. And so in the same way, um, you're, it's the spirit inside um, of the physical body that gives life, animation, if you will, um, to the body. Death, if you remember, we've covered this uh, at least once already, um, death uh, in its simplest understanding means separation. So spiritual death is when someone's spirit is separated from God. This is someone who, who is spiritually dead. There are lots of people on planet Earth who are spiritually dead but are biologically alive, okay? So we think, we think death, you know, means, you know, X's on the eyes or, you know, somebody that doesn't exist anymore, what have you. Um, and that's just simply not the way to, to understand it, okay? Um, your phone can be dead, um, meaning it's, it's either has no more electricity in the battery to, to, to make it come alive, or it's become disconnected from the cell phone tower uh, that would that would feed a signal um, to it, but the phone's still in your hand. Um, it, it could, if it's disconnected from the cell phone tower, it can still turn on, um, but it, we still say that it's dead because again, it's separated from, it's disconnected, either separated from the energy that that brings it to life, or it's separated from the signal that causes it to work. And so, in the same way, to be spiritually dead is when someone's spirit is separated from God. Physical death, on the other hand, is when someone's spirit and soul separates from their physical body. The spirit and soul separated from the physical body. So think of the hand as the spirit and soul inside the glove. When that hand slips out of the glove, the glove is now dead because of the separation uh, that occurred with the spirit and the soul. So we know that the, the flesh was made from dust and the dust, it returns to the earth as it was, but the spirit returns to God who gave it, all right? Now, let's look at a couple more verses. Um, and we could, I don't know how many we could go to. There's, obviously, it's, the word of God is rich with, with this truth, but um, Acts chapter 7 and verse 59 is where we have the account of Stephen being stoned and it says, uh, and they stoned Stephen, and he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, <clears throat> here we have in Luke, the <coughs> pardon me for coughing, Luke, um, the 8th chapter and the 55th verse. Um, this is when uh, Jesus, I believe the context here is when he raised Jairus' daughter, a uh, little 12-year-old girl that had, was very sick and had died. Um, and Jesus raised her from the dead. But notice what happened when he raised her from the dead. It says, then her spirit returned. So if, if, um, if I leave the room and then come back in, I have returned to the room. In this case, her spirit had left her body, but then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. So the lifeless body 
arose immediately when the spirit returned to it. Um, and he commanded, Jesus commanded, that she be given something to eat. Praise God. All right, let's, um, <clears throat> let's go now uh, to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, um, and verses 7 and 8. I'll give you a minute to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse uh, 7 and 8. This is also a very interesting uh, verse to born-again believers, okay? So to born-again believers, um, he says in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, again, <clears throat> there are so many verses we could spend the rest of our time probably together tonight just looking at verses that confirm what, we're, what our point is tonight, that you are, you are a spirit being. Um, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, used the language of a tent. And um, <clears throat> for those of you who do not understand this, the Bible teaches that, um, that the physical body that we have now, um, there's coming a day when it will be transformed. It will be, um, one terminology that's used is glorified, a glorified uh, body. I like to say um, an outward man that's comparable to the, to the born-again spirit that's already inside of, of this physical body. Um, for instance, the Bible says we have a treasure in an earthen vessel. Again, that's speaking of our born-again spirit and God's spirit now, if you're born again, inside of a physical earthen uh, vessel. But Paul used the terminology of, of a tent, and he said his body was a tent. And we know that a tent is a temporary dwelling place. Uh, but he talked about um, the, the home, the permanent uh, body, uh, that, um, that, that would, again, be glorified, comparable to the born-again spirit that we, that we now have, uh, that we would receive when our salvation is uh, complete in, in heaven. And, and so think of, again, you know, not only is this body not permanent, um, it's not the real you. Um, you are a spirit. Um, your spirit is who you are. Um, one other thing, and, and obviously the Lord revealed a lot to the Apostle Paul about this, but we even see where Paul spoke of his body in the third person. Um, he, called it, uh, he called his body an it. He said, I will not let it, speaking of his flesh, I will not let it, speaking of his body, um, rule me. But he said, I will bring it under subjection. I will not allow it to rule me. All right. So he had this understanding that who he really was uh, was not the, 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 the outward part of him, but who uh, he, he really was and is um, was that born-again spirit deep on the inside of him. Now, <clears throat> we'll circle back around uh, to this drawing in the future, but I want to at least introduce it to you now. <clears throat> And what, what we have here is just, 
a representation of, of every human being. Um, you are spirit, soul, and body. Um, when I look at a human being, I see one person, but the Bible tells me that I'm really looking at three. And so I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again, and I would really like for you, maybe you want to, you want to write this down if you don't have it, you know, lined up straight in, in your heart and mind now, is that you are a spirit. The real you, the part of you that will live forever or die forever somewhere is your spirit, okay? Um, and then <clears throat> you are a spirit and you possess what the Bible calls a soul. You say, what's the difference between my spirit and soul, Pastor Mark? Well, your soul is the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. It's your mind, it's your emotions, it's your will, okay? And then your spirit that possesses a soul is housed within or contained within a physical body. Uh, in the same way that an astronaut goes into outer space and has to have uh, a spacesuit in order to, uh, you know, exist outside of a spaceship in outer space, um, you have to have an Earth suit in order to exist on planet Earth. If something happens, um, if your Earth suit expires, um, you do not cease to exist, um, but you can't stay here. You, you, in order to be on Earth, you have to be in an Earth suit. And so if your Earth suit will, will no longer sustain um, the spirit that's within it, um, there's separation, also known as death, and your spirit and soul um, separate from your physical body. Now, if you're a born-again believer, I'm not here to try to teach exhaustively on these things tonight, but the Bible's very clear now um, after what Jesus did for us on the cross as a born-again believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, <clears throat> these are things that, that we'll continue to develop um, you know, for several days ahead. But I want to take this simple truth that you are a spirit being, you, the real you is a spirit. And I want to show you how an understanding of that now fits into just some practical things the Bible teaches us about living the life that God created us to live. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5 now. Galatians chapter 5 and um, <clears throat> verse number 16. Galatians 5 and uh, 16. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So this is a, a very important passage because we see that not only is the body and the Spirit, uh, not only are they... Uh, two separate things that they're actually contrary to one another. Think contradict. Think um, opposed to. Um, your, your, your born again spirit uh, believes every word that God's ever spoken. Your born again spirit wants to, you know, go do the works of Jesus. Your born again spirit wants to live for God and walk with God. Um, but then we have this part of us that, that we see that's our body our flesh, um, that, um, that the enemy 
uh, tries to use against us and, and work against us. How, how about this one? And this might be one of the you know, most powerful verses on this subject that we have in the Scriptures. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, Jesus saying to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed and, and, uh, and taken into custody, he tells them to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So again, a practical application. Jesus was under tremendous pressure. He knew the torture and agony uh, that, that was just ahead of him. And he was praying to his father in, in great uh, intensity and, and, and earnest that, uh, you know, is there any other way, father, that this cup, and the cup was referring to um, his being beaten and being crucified and, and, being, and dying. Um, and he's like, is there any other way that this cup can pass from me? And part of the burden that Jesus was dealing with that night was that he knew that um, when it all came down on him, that um, all hell was going to come down on those men that he loved so dearly. And so he's asking them to pray. Uh, for, for many years of my Christian life, I always thought that Jesus was trying to get them to pray for him. And that's not what it says. He says, look, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. He was wanting them to pray so that they would be spiritually strong and, and would be able to, to you know, stand against, uh, stand up to uh, the pressure that was fixing to be applied to them. But we know what happened, right? Jesus would, would ask them to pray. They would say, they would agree to pray. Jesus would go pray by himself. Then a while later, he would come back and he would find them asleep. Um, and, you know, wake them up. Hey, guys, you really need to pray. Would you, can you just pray with me for an hour here, you know? And so he would go and pray and come back. And again, they would be asleep. And so, you know, Jesus didn't like, you know, berate them or talk down to them or, you know, kick them away, you lazy, good-for-nothing disciples. No, he explained to them and to us what they were dealing with. And what they were dealing with are things that, that we still deal with every day of our lives, where the spirit, the real you, indeed is willing, um, but the flesh is weak. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, uh, you liars, you told me you would pray. No, Jesus knew there was a part of them that, that genuinely wanted to pray. He knew there was a part of them that, that was all in uh, with this thing called prayer. But he also knew that there was another part of them that kept overriding um, that inward part that, that, that wanted to pray, the part of them that was um, indeed willing. Okay? So when I say this is such a powerfully and, and, and powerful and important passage, it, it's because you know, this is where we so frequently find ourselves um, in life, you know, where there's a part of us that wants to pay our tithes, there's a part of us that, that wants to come to church, there's a part of us that wants to share um, the gospel with, with non-believers, there's a part of us that wants to take that mission trip, there's a part, you know, um, there's a part of us that wants to go win the world and, and lay hands on the sick and, and so forth. But then there's this other part of us that, that if, if we allow it, that, that's contrary to uh, and, and will override uh, that spirit inside of us um, that is willing. Remember though, again, <clears throat> there's lots of points to be made tonight, but this is one of the key ones, okay? The real you is the spirit that's willing, 
not the flesh that's weak. The real you is the spirit that's willing, not the flesh that's weak. All right, let's go to another passage, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 9. <coughs> Excuse me, it says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Okay, so this verse has, you know, lots of value, as all verses do. Um, he's talking about how, you know, the human fathers that we've all had that, you know, tried to train us up and teach us about life and integrity and, you know, being good people and citizens and all this other stuff, right? He says that we paid them respect, and, and rightfully so. The Bible, you know, instructs us, commands us um, to honor our, our father and mother. But he's saying that if that's important, you know, how much more important is it for us to readily be in subjection? And notice he says, to the Father of spirits. To the Father of spirits. Amen. So you are a spirit. If you're born again, God is your Father. Amen. In the sense that you've become His offspring in the earth. You've been born of Him. Um, and, 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 and uh, you know, so again, he doesn't say the father of your flesh. He's the father of spirits. How much more shall we readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? All right. Now, let's go to John chapter 6 and verse 63. John chapter 6 and verse 63. This is Jesus speaking. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Okay, so, <coughs> excuse me, praise God. I could have done that when we had a screen overlay. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if any of you had a chance to watch last Sunday's, uh, last Sunday, last Wednesday's uh, uh, sermon but um, we've been preaching on Wednesday nights uh, on the subject of faith in general and specifically, in particular, we've been talking about overcoming doubt. Why did you doubt? And uh, man, after doing this class for almost two hours, then getting in the pulpit for another 40 minutes, let's just say my throat and, and all was, I was struggling, amen. And um, you know, the enemy was just on my shoulder. He's like, are you really gonna get up here and preach? on the subject of faith, when you can't even hardly talk, you know, you're coughing and carrying on like that. And so, yes, amen, yes, I am. And, um, and we're going to keep doing it, praise God, uh, because we can, it's because it's what we're called to do, and it's because we're not moved by what we feel, uh, we're moved by what we believe, praise God. So, anyway, I apologize in advance. Uh, I'm, I'm not believing to cough anymore, but if I do, I will, and, and uh, hopefully it's not blasting you out wherever it is that you're listening, okay? All right, so it's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So <clears throat> what I was going to say a minute ago, I mentioned death and there's, there's the Bible speaks of, of different types of death. We mentioned the spiritual death, which is separation, your spirit separated from God who is a spirit. And then we mentioned physical death, which also is separation, but physical death would be spirit and soul separated from uh, the, the flesh or the physical body. The Bible also has two words for life. 
Um, the first is the word bios, and uh, it's pretty obvious, I think. Bios is speaking of biological life or think physical, physiological life. And then the Bible has the word, uses the word zoe, okay, for life. And zoe means the life and nature of God, okay. So when Jesus says the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, he's saying they are spirit and they are zoe. <coughs> Excuse me, they are spirit and they are zoe, okay. So this is, again, when we talk about building on this understanding, you know, for a, a you know, practical benefit, um, I've told you already the Word of God is the only book you'll ever read that will read you back. You may not understand it, but it understands you because the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 tells us that. So Jesus was saying the words that I speak to you, their spirit and their life. In other words, that's where the real value is. That's, <clears throat> that's where our priorities uh, should be. This is what we should really um, set our hearts and, and minds and focus in it and, and attention upon. Praise God. His words are spirit and life. That means His words feed something deep inside of you. Um, your born-again spirit and the Word of God came from the same source. Um, they are, back to this word we've used a couple of times in, in, the, in previous classes, they are comparable, they're compatible uh, with uh, one another. Amen. And, and so this is even back when Jesus says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Prayer is spiritual exercise. And, and Jesus was trying to get them to commune with God who is a spirit, their spirit communing with God who is a spirit, so that they would be strong when the pressure and temptation was applied to them. <clears throat> now, we're going to take this now to another level. And <clears throat> what I'm going to begin to explain to you, when I say begin, this is something that we will build on in later classes as well. But what I'm going to begin to explain to you tonight, um, I believe is, is one of the more important things that you could, could ever understand when it comes to spirit, soul, body, the real you being the part that's willing, the spirit, uh, versus the flesh that's contrary to your spirit and tries to create this gridlock in your life where, you know, part of you's pulling one way, another part's pulling the other way, and you, and you wind up just kind of at a stalemate, um, <clears throat> is that because you are a spirit inside of a body and or, or flesh, and these two are contrary, opposed to one another, that it's possible, now listen to me, I know this, is, this may sound a little uh, strange and odd to you at first, but I'm going to show it to you at least in a few different verses. It's possible, if you understand how it is that you've been created, what you are, okay, um, it's possible for you to experience um, two opposing realities um, at the same time in your life, okay? Um, let's go back to spirits willing, flesh is weak, where part of you is all in to pray, the other part of you don't have time for it and is ready to go to bed, okay? Um, and you think, well, you know, am, am I losing my mind? Is this, is this some kind of illness? No, no, it's called the human condition, okay? <clears throat> and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this this sentence up, okay, this, this concept up on the screen. 
And it says two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. Two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. Okay. Now, one of the ways that I explain spirit, soul, and body is that you are a three-dimensional being. Most people only understand themselves as being one-dimensional. You are not a one-dimensional being. You are a three-dimensional being. Most people only think of themselves as in one dimension. That's the physical or the, or the flesh dimension, the body. And they think that that's all that it is to life. And again, Satan doesn't want you to ever understand that there's more to you than meets the eye. There's more to you than that outward shell um, that, that, that we can see, that you can see in the mirror, um, that the real you is actually the, the spirit that lives deep inside of that physical body that we can all see that stares back at you uh, from uh, the mirror. And when we understand, though, that we're a three-dimensional being and, and we stop thinking in one dimension and start thinking in three dimensions, we, we, we begin to understand our, our existence. We begin to understand life um, as three-dimensional living and how not only understanding these three dimensions, but how to manage um, these three dimensions. You see, you were never created um, for your flesh to, to overrule um, your spirit. Um, you were never meant for your emotions uh, to rule over your spirit. Um, your body was created by God to serve uh, your spirit. Your emotions, your mind were created by God to serve you, to serve the real you, your spirit. Okay? And so sin brought chaos uh, into the three-dimensional men. Uh, the three-dimensional man, the three dimensions of man. Sin brought all kinds of confusion. It, 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 it set the spirit and the flesh at, at odds with one another. Um, and again, if you never understand this, if you never understand there's part of you that's willing and there's part of you that's weak, and if you never understand how to manage that and, and overcome that and be victorious uh, in, in that, then it's, it's going to be a, a, an ongoing crisis, an ongoing issue, ongoing problem, um, in your life. It's something you'll never outgrow. Amen. You know, um, you know, sometimes we think of the, you know, the, the lustfulness of youth, okay? Um, and again, <laughs> you know, we think, well, we just outgrow some of these things. No, no. The flesh is the flesh is the flesh, okay? And so um, when we talk about two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time, see, we... You know, religion even teaches us that, that um, you know, it's, it can only be one or the other and, and not both and. But the Bible teaches us that you can be both willing and weak at the same time. It's not you're either willing or you're weak. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said their spirits were willing, but their flesh um, was weak. So a really great verse to begin with to, to explain to you what I mean um, I'm going to put this slide back up one more time. Two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. I've got to come back, okay? Ultimately, what I'm, I'm going to try to explain to you tonight is that two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time, this means that you can be free and still live like someone who's not. You can be righteous and still live like someone who's not. Think about that for a moment. You can be strong, but still live like someone who's weak. You can be rich, 
and still live like someone who is poor. This is what we mean by two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. It's not either or, it's both and. Okay, so let's go to our passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Do, do you see the two opposing realities taking place in the same person at the same time? Paul said that there was part of him that was perishing, and at the same time part of him was perishing, another part of him was in a state of continual renewal. There was one part that was in decline, and there was another part that was growing and increasing. And it wasn't that one part, uh, in other words, <clears throat> back to the either or both and. It's not you're either perishing or you're being renewed. Paul said he was perishing and being renewed at the same time. Okay, um, and, th and this whole idea of perishing, you know, it's this idea of, of age and praise God, our youth renewed like the eagles and the Lord said with long life he'll satisfy us and and, and, and so forth and so on. But remember, this outward body was not meant to live forever. Okay, now the one that's been prepared for us in heaven, the body that's been prepared for us in heaven, it is an eternal body. The one that we have now is not. And, and so, uh, praise God, I remember when I went to get the bifocals, amen, because uh, I, my distance vision is fine, but reading stuff up close and staring at a computer screen, which I do many hours a day, um, you know, I had to get some uh, corrective lenses, praise God. And um, <clears throat> so, amen, you judge me for that or not, but I'm just telling you that's, that's part of what he's talking about here. But while one part of us is getting older and maybe slowing down a little bit, there's another part of us that's being renewed day by day. And again, these two opposing realities, two opposite directions, taking place in the same person at the same time. This sounds like science fiction if you don't understand uh, life in three dimensions, if you don't understand that um, you're a spirit, a soul, and a body, a spirit that possesses a soul that lives inside of <clears throat> a physical body. So back to the real you is the part that's willing, okay? The real you is the part that's being renewed day by day. That's good news, okay? The part of you that, that lives forever is better today than it was yesterday, and it'll be better tomorrow than it is today. Um, that's just the way things are with God. That's the way things are that have become one with Him, okay? Um, so I'm just trying to lay some groundwork here. So let's go back to our slide then. So I know it's clear, but the outward man is perishing. At the same time, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. One more time, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Well, do you see... Um, do you see the two opposing realities in this verse? 
Um, one is um, the heir, okay? And as the heir, um, he is uh, master of all. That master of all um, <clears throat> is translated different ways. One translation says um, uh, ruler uh, of all. One says lord of all, lowercase l, okay? So now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, <clears throat> though he is master of all. So let's try to do um, just a, a brief, and we'll cover some of this in uh, point number three of what is man. But we see in the scriptures that God created you and me to have dominion. Um, he created us to rule and reign in life. Um, not to rule and reign over other human beings, but to, to uh, certainly there's a, an order of authority that God has established, but ultimately for us to rule and reign over devils and demons and circumstances and situations and sin and, and things that are opposed to God. Um, Romans 5, that, that great chapter in Romans that, that goes into great detail explaining our salvation, explaining the righteousness that we've become, um, and the gift of grace that we've been given, um, the Bible says that through this abundance of grace and gift of righteousness that we now rule and reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. So as born-again believers, we, we are supposed to be ruling and reigning in life as heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, he spent basically the first three chapters explaining to us our salvation, explaining to us that we um, have become um, uh, heirs of God, that one of the key verses that, that he uses is that Jesus became a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon uh, the Gentiles or the non-biological descendants of Abraham. And there's a lot of teaching that we've done there in the past. I'm not going to try to get into all of that, but... You know, if you were a biological descendant of Abraham, you were an heir of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But now in Christ, um, those who have been born again, Jesus became a curse for us. He came up under the curse that, that was on us, lifted it off of us and carried it away so that the blessing of Abraham could now come upon those that were not born from the biological seed or physical seed of Abraham. And so he, he goes into this lengthy explanation uh, and, and stating this biblical case that, that we are as much heirs of God as those who descended from Abraham. But the question then, and aren't you glad the Holy Spirit knows how to answer questions that we don't know how to ask or anticipates questions that, that someone may ask? And, and so the question that, that begged to be asked was, well, if all of this is true, uh, you know, Paul, Holy Spirit, if all this is true, then why do so many of God's children still live as slaves to sin, as slaves to circumstances, as slaves uh, to the curse, when we've been given victory over it, right? And so this is why he says, now I say, now I say that the heir, uh, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is, though he be um, master of all, lord of all, ruler of all. So the the, the two opposing realities taking place in the same life at the same time is that, spiritually speaking, the real you is the heir. The real you is Lord of all. The real you 
is, is ruling and reigning and has the wherewithal to rule and reign in life, okay? But then we have this part of us where, you know, we still live as slaves even though we're, we're rulers, even though we have dominion and authority uh, over the demonic spirits, over the mountains even that would try to, to, to slow us down and block our pathways, right? So a key phrase in this verse is the phrase, as long as he is a child. And, and child here by definition means someone who is number one, ignorant, number two, immature, number three, unable to speak on his or her own behalf, right? So notice all three of those, ignorance, immaturity, inability to speak, on one's own behalf, we can, we can outgrow that. In other words, we can overcome that. Overcome ignorance by learning, overcome immaturity by, by growing, and then I believe they, they fall in that order. And as we overcome the ignorance, then it, it facilitates maturity, and as the maturity develops, then we're able to uh, you know, speak, and, and you know, death and life's in the power of the tongue, we're able to speak to mountains and have them move, speak to sickness and demons and command them to leave, so forth and so on. So, there's a, again, as I said before, there's a lot of teaching that we could do here. The main thing I'm wanting you to see tonight is in another verse that the heir, as long as he's a child, is not different at all from a slave, though he literally is master of all. You see, that, that I've seen so many of God's people living as slaves when they're not slaves any longer. We're, we've been made free. We've been made free from sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. There's a lot of God's people who still live as if sin is their master, when sin is no longer their master. And they're doing it because they still think like a child, act like a child, speak like a child, so forth and so on, right? So, <clears throat> amen. Two opposing realities taking place in the same person at the same time. But remember, the real you is the heir, not the slave, all right? Now, let's go to this next one. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Here the Bible says, For by one offering, He, He being Jesus, for by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, this is speaking of His sacrifice, um, one sacrifice for all sin for all time. Jesus, by one offering, of himself has perfected, not temporarily, but forever, made complete forever, those who are being sanctified. All right? So one more time, do you see the two opposing realities? Um, <laughs> there's a, there's, the one reality is perfected forever. Um, the other reality is um, being sanctified. Now let's talk for a moment about being sanctified. Being sanctified is a, uh, a, a word that basically encompasses the growth and, de and development of, of the born-again believer. Um, it's, it's, you know, to be sanctified means to be set apart from and set apart unto. Um, so being sanctified means we're being set apart uh, from this world, set apart unto God, set apart from the thinking of this world, set apart unto um, godly thinking, godly living, uh, God set apart from the way this world talks and speaks and responds to the way uh, you know, godly men and women uh, speak and, and talk and respond. Okay? And so notice it, this verse, um, it literally is saying that you are a perfect work in progress. 
And you think, how can I be a work in progress if I have been perfected forever? Now, this is where so many people, because they don't understand the three dimensions, this is where so many people uh, get confused by this verse and, and they make this mistake. They say, if I'm still a work in progress, then there's no way I'm perfected. Okay? If, if I'm still struggling in certain areas, then I'm not yet perfected. But yet the Bible says by one's offering of himself, the sacrifice and the blood that Jesus shed, and the sacrifice that he made, that he has perfected, not only has he perfected you, he's perfected you forever. If you've been born again, you are forever perfected. Even though there's another reality taking place in your life at the same time, and that is that you are being sanctified. Okay, well, I'm asking you to pick out the two realities, but also what we're emphasizing is, by the way, the real you is the part of you that has been perfected forever. The spirit, the real you, you are a spirit, and your spirit has been perfected forever. Your soul is in a state of, of, of being renewed. Your mind is being reconditioned. Uh, our minds were, were conditioned by the lives that we lived in sin. Our minds were, were, were influenced. Uh, by the things that, that we experienced in the world, living separated from God. And, and now our minds are being renewed. Our minds, our minds are being reconditioned. We're learning to think like born-again people. We're learning to think like men and women who've been perfected forever. Amen. You see why the devil never wants you to understand that you're a three-dimensional being. He never wants you to think of yourself as anything more than a flesh or, 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 or fleshly or physical being. Okay? But there's a part of you, my brother my sister, that's, that when you were born again was instantly and eternally perfected, perfected forever. So you say, well, how can I be perfected forever and still struggle with addiction? How can I be perfected forever and still struggle with anger? How can I be perfected forever and, and still struggle with doubt and worry? Okay. Well, notice the part that's been perfected forever is your spirit. Where is it that, that you participate in addiction? That's something that that involves your soul. That's something that involves your flesh. Worry is, is again, that's something emotional. That's something that, that involves your thinking and then affects you physically, okay? Now, I'm not saying these things aren't important. You know, one of the kickbacks that I get so many times when I try to explain these things to people, you know, is they say, oh, so you're saying worrying is not a big deal. It is a big deal. Worrying has torment, fear has torment. Addictive behaviors can end your life early on planet Earth. Uh, it, you know, live by the flesh, you'll die, is, is, is what the Bible says. I'm not trying to shellac over these things like they're, like they're no big deal, but I'm, but I'm trying to show you that you know, there can be two, there is two opposing realities taking place in your life at the same time. Uh, you know, are, are you perishing or are you being renewed day by day? Are you an heir or are you a slave? Uh, are you um, perfected forever or are you, uh, do you still need some work or do you still need a lot of work? And, and so we think it's, it's either or. It's both and, my friend. It's both and. Praise God. You see, if you've been born again, you, you were born of, of, of the same seed that Jesus was born from. And if, if your born-again spirit could step outside of your body right now, you'd look just like Jesus because you were born of his seed and you've become one with his spirit. All right? So it's understanding this that gives us the ability um, to, 
you know, to grow and, and to recognize and to bring our thoughts into alignment, you know, where we begin uh, to, to see who we really are. Um, I think it was Francesca Banastelli, and I just butchered her name, please forgive me. Um, but she says, I, I am who you say I am. I believe I am who you say I am. Beautiful song. I think it was number one in the Christian charts for I don't know how long, crossover. You, you hear people that, I don't even know if they know God or not, sing that song. It's a beautiful song, okay? And there's other songs. I was hearing another one on, on Christian radio today that, that um, was basically the same theme. And, and I love that because, again, um, you know, it's, it's who God says you are. Uh, it's who He made you when, when He recreated you in Christ Jesus. And, and as, you know, the more we begin to see ourselves as, as being made free, as being made well, as being made whole, as being made righteous, that this is what's true about us, perfected forever, okay? As, 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 our, as we begin to see of ourselves that way, as we begin to think of ourselves that way, then that's bringing our thoughts into alignment with the reality of our born-again spirit, which then translates into right living, right behaving, living free, living whole, living blessed, because you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Amen. All right, now... If you've been with us from the beginning, I'm fixing to pull a verse out of the archives, praise God. A verse that we looked at uh, for several classes in a row. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. Let's, let's weave this into the teaching web tonight. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Prior to this, the Apostle Paul said that his understanding, the, the, the vastness of the love of God that had been revealed to him, had translated into an understanding on his part that Jesus didn't just love him that much, but he loved every human being. He loved all of mankind as much as he loved the Apostle Paul. And it was this revelation of God's love for mankind that Paul said compelled him, constrained him um, to, to, to go and, and minister and, and to and to, to live the life that he was living, uh, sacrificing himself so that other people might know this love that God has uh, for, for them. And so he says that from now on, in other words, there was, Paul was drawing a line in the sand, and he's saying from this point forward, um, he's made a choice that he will regard no one according to the flesh. Okay, Meaning what? meaning your flesh cannot tell the whole story of who you are on the inside. It's not, this is why you're going to have to have a glorified body one day to truly reflect um, who you've already become, who you've already been made in Christ Jesus. And he uses the example of how when, when people on the earth uh, first met and, and knew Christ, he says we have known Christ according to the flesh. In other words, they knew Him as a human being. They knew Him as a man. But the more they got to know Him, the more they realized that there was much more to Him than met the eye. In other words, who He was inwardly, praise God, um, began to show through Him outwardly the inward reality of, 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 of His Spirit being manifest, being made known 
through the way he carried himself, the way he lived his life, the way he spoke, the miracles that he performed. And so he's saying in the same way that we knew Jesus according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Let me use a phrase I've already used, but I'll use it again. There was more to Jesus than met the eye. And he says in the same way that there was more to Jesus than met the eye, there's more to you, there's more to me as born-again believers than actually meets the eye. Praise God. All right, now, let me get a sip of water here. There is more to come uh, on, on this point. And um, in the coming days, we're, we're going to talk about what it means to be born again. And, and, and you know, the Bible talks about this new birth, this born again experience. Through this new birth experience, we receive this gift of salvation. Okay, And <clears throat> these things are um, very important. My, my experience as a, as a pastor now for, for many, many years is that a lot of people have been born again but have no idea what happened when they were. It's sad to me, but I'm going to even say it this way. Most people who have been born again have no idea what became true about them um, when they were born again and what really happened through that experience. And so because of that, because people don't understand it, they don't realize the transformation. Because again, we're so used to, to gauging things by our feelings um, we're so used to gauging things, um, you, you know, by the outward appearance of it. Remember when I said, regard no one according to the flesh, included you regarding yourself according to the flesh. Amen. And that's what we do, though. We, we tend to, you know, look at areas in our life that we may still be struggling in. And, and we think that because we, let's just use addiction for an example, uh, we may struggle in the area of addiction. And so what does the world say? She's an addict. You know, he's an addict. Well, why would you say that someone's an addict? Well, because they struggle with addiction. Well, again, you're only thinking in one dimension. Someone can be born again and be just as free as Jesus, okay, um, but still struggle in the flesh with these areas of, um, of addiction. And man, something just jumped up in my spirit right now. And I, I, listen, I'm going to be gentle here. But, but there's some of you watching right now, at least one person that's watching right now, um, you, you need to check yourself, okay? Because you're being, you're being very harsh and you're being very judgmental. You know, you just, just because you may have never, you know, shot heroin, um, that doesn't mean that you don't have some area in your life, some sin, the Bible says, that, that easily besets you, that easily ensnares you, okay? And, and so it's very easy to hear this and dismiss it by judging or looking down on someone that struggles in an area of their flesh that you've never struggled in. But listen, if, um, how do I say this? Praise God. If you think that you don't have an area of your flesh that you struggle in, then not only are you deceived, you're calling God a liar because he says um, that, that we do and that this is something that we need to recognize and understand in our lives and set aside that we need to set it aside, okay? Um, but but let's, let's get back to what we were saying about the new birth. Um, it was your spirit that was born again, not your soul and not your flesh. 
um, the Bible says that when you were born again, old things passed away and all things, everything became new. Well, that's not speaking of your eye color or your hair color or how, high, how tall you were or how much you weighed. That's all physical things, right? Um, that None of that was changed. And, and even although we receive the mind of Christ, we receive the ability to process spiritual things and, and we go from spiritual things being foolishness to us to spiritual things and ha having the capacity to process or understand spiritual things. It's still no substitute for us learning and growing and doing what we're doing tonight, committing ourselves to this process um, of uh, discipleship, uh, growing up into Jesus, growing up into um, you know, who we've already put on. If you've been born again, you've put on Christ, as, as we said last week, but now we are what we are growing up um, into him. And so, you know, the common mistake, one more time, that so many people make is they consult their feelings. Listen, I've been, I've been born again almost 50 years, okay? But um, there's been a lot of days I didn't feel saved. Okay, but feelings are one thing. Your, your born-again spirit you know, is, is something that's deeper inside of you than, than what you may feel or even what you may think. Okay? And, and so the classic mistake, again, is not just consulting the feelings, but even more than the feelings is the behavior. And the devil is very quick to jump on the mistakes that we make or the sin that we may still commit and struggle with. And religion is certainly quick to jump on that. Um, have you ever heard or thought something to this effect? You know, if you were born again, you wouldn't do those things. If you really were saved, you wouldn't even think about those things. And that's the accuser of the brethren. And, and sometimes those thoughts come from the enemy into our minds. And sometimes they come from other people, even pe men and women in the pulpit. Um, that, you know, say those kinds of things. But again, they're making the mistake of only thinking in one dimension. Um, it's very possible for someone to be born again, um, but still struggle, you know, in an area of their flesh. He has perfected forever those who are uh, being sanctified, okay? So this isn't about giving anybody an excuse to sin. That's the other argument that, that even they made when Paul first began to reveal these things by the Holy Spirit to us in the book of Romans, okay? not about an excuse to sin it's about understanding the truth because what does the truth do the truth enables you uh, to live in the freedom that belongs to you that you've been made as a child as a son or daughter of God so <clears throat> we can't consult our behavior to decide whether or not we're righteous or or we can't consult our behavior to decide whether or not we're one of God's children because our behavior is, is far too fickle. Um, you know, we can be doing good one day and struggling the next. And, and, and as long as we look to our behavior to try to figure out who we truly are and what's true about us, um, we're, we're going to be in a constant state of, of confusion. It's, it's your spirit that was born again. It's your spirit that became new. It's your spirit that's been perfected forever. And that's, that again, that's the real you. Um, just like we said earlier, the willing part is, is, the, is the part that's really you. Uh, that's the part of you that's going to live forever. Amen. And that's the part we want to we understand and we want to lay hold of and, and we want to we 
grow from there. We want that to become, you know, the foundation. Um, it, this has jumped up in my spirit a couple of times, so I'm, I'm going to go back to it. Um, and it's this concept of reconciliation. Um, we, we see it and we looked at it when we studied that um, in the scriptures. But the idea of reconciliation is that we're, we're talking about going from a place of disagreement to a place of agreement, um, from a place of enmity, which, which means a difference of opinion, to a place of harmony. And, and so we use the example of reconciling a checkbook. And if you understand how a checkbook works, you know, you write a check and you, you, you put those you know, totals in there that you've, you know, checks you've written and then you get paid and you write in the deposit and then maybe you forget to write a check or, or re, you know, log a check or what have you. And so in the registry of the checkbook, you've got the amount of money you think you have, but then you get the statement from the bank. And to reconcile the checkbook is when you bring the checkbook registry into alignment with the statement, okay? That's reconciling. And so when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about bringing our, not just our behavior, certainly our behavior, but you'll never bring your behavior into alignment with what God you know, has in store for you, the life He created you to live, unless you also allow the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God to help you bring your thinking into alignment. Okay, So this is why we, we said early and often the best advice I could give anyone is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. If He says He's perfected you forever, that there's, you know, quit disagreeing with him. Uh, just agree with him. Agree with him quickly. Thank him for perfecting you forever. Understand that he's talking about the real you, that the real you has been made perfect. And, and, and now we're learning how to think in alignment with and ultimately uh, choose and behave in alignment with um, the, the person that God uh, made us um, when we were born again uh, in Christ Jesus. Praise God. All right. I'm going to push on uh, to number three, okay? Um, I'm seeing that we've got really another 20-plus uh, minutes or so, and I don't know if we've got time to complete this one, but um, we definitely have time to get started on it, so praise God. All right, so let's go back to it now. What um, is man? Uh, what is man? This is the question we're answering and the first thing that we covered, we said, number one, man is a God-class being, okay? And now, number two is the one that we've been uh, talking about tonight. What is man? Number two, man is a spirit being, all right? And then number three, what is man? Man is the legal authority on earth. Man is the legal authority on earth. I'm going to say it one more time. What is man? Man is the legal authority on earth. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> let me try to simplify man is legal authority on earth. All right? um, have you ever been in a situation, maybe it was some project at, at, on your job or um, maybe it was some situation in a classroom or whatever, um, and you were trying to figure out who was in charge? Uh, you you know, it's like, who's, who's calling the shots here? Who, who's running the show? Who, who do we go to when we have questions or concerns or complaints or uh, issues? Um, who, who, who do we go to when, you know, there's something that, that 
we can't figure out and, and we need some answers for, okay? Um, so when we say that man is the legal authority on earth, uh, when God created mankind, he created mankind to uh, have dominion um, on planet earth, to, to rule uh, on uh, planet earth. Um, let, me, uh, let me give you a passage here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Do you see the phrase there? It's a very important phrase. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Okay, so when we, when we see uh, this word dominion, there's a couple of words that um, come from that root that'll help uh, you really, I, I think, wrap your heart and mind around what he's saying here. When he, when he says dominion, think um, domain, okay, domain, um, to, to have dominion in your domain. And, and this next word is a little stronger word, and that's the word dominate. Dominate. Notice dominion, domain, dominate. All these words you know, share this, this common root. All right? So God created the, the heavens and the earth, um, and then he created this place called the Garden of Eden, and then he put Adam and Eve in that garden, and he told them, among other things, to be fruitful. He told them to multiply. He told them to replenish um, the earth. He told them um, if anything got out of line, um, uh, you know, to uh, subdue it, okay, to subdue it. So this goes back to dominating your domain, having dominion over your domain, um, God created Adam and Eve and then the descendants of Adam and Eve uh, to have dominion on the earth. Um, one passage says, uh, over all the works of God's hands. Over all the works of God's hands. And we, and we looked at that passage when we looked at in the class uh, where it says God made us a little bit lower than Elohim. And, and we said that angels... Uh, were the works of God's hands. In other words, God created them with his hands and he gave us authority over um, the works of his hands. And we know ministering spirits are sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. And then, of course, we know that, that demons are fallen angels. So God didn't create them to be demons, but they became demons because of their rebellion. Right? But still, they're the works of God's hands. Therefore, we were created by God to have dominion over them, to have authority or rule over them, all right? So he says, let them have dominion. Now, one of the things that, that so few people understand, it's very sad to me, but it's true, all right? And, and that is that God gave dominion authority over the earth to Adam, and the descendants of Adam, but Adam committed high treason against God, and 
turned the authority that was given to him over to God's enemy. And again, I'm not going to take the time to go back to those verses. We've already looked at them, uh, turned to them, put them up on the screen in this class. But we see that the Bible very clearly identifies 2 Corinthians 4.4 as that Satan is the god of this world, lowercase g-o-d. Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. We also see the Bible identifies him as the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Okay, Now, it's not that God created him to be the ruler, to have dominion over the earth. God clearly, the Bible says, created mankind to have dominion over the earth, to rule and reign over the earth. So if God created the, the heavens and the earth, then created man put us in that garden to have dominion, how did that authority uh, get transferred over to the devil? God didn't give it to the devil. Adam gave it to the devil. And, and Jesus, we know, as our big brother, came to this earth as a man to reclaim that authority, to take it back from the enemy and give it to you and me. This is why... Uh, and I know for a lot of you this is review when you, you were tuned into those classes. This is, this is why Jesus said after vic becoming victorious over death, hell, and the grave that all authority now belonged to him in both heaven and earth. So Jesus came, he took that authority back as a man and because he took it back as a man, not as God, but as a man, he took that authority back to give it back to, turn it back over to um to you and to me okay so i know we've we we've, we've covered a lot just in a few minutes right there but i'm 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 wanting you to to understand that the original plan of god was for human beings to have dominion on the earth that father god did not just create us to rule over us but he created us to rule through us he created us to, to, to rule and reign um, you know, in conjunction with and together with Him. This is why when Jesus was on this earth as a man, He understood and stated that apart from His Father, apart from God, that He could do nothing. That He could do nothing. Um, that, that He recognized in order to fulfill His purpose and live the life that, that His Father put him on this earth to live in the, in the form of a man, that he had to have that vital union um, with his father in order to, to do what God uh, created him to do here on the earth. All right. Now, let's go to Psalm 115 and verse 16. Psalm 115 and verse 16. Again, it's a very interesting verse that's related um, to what we're studying now. It says this, the heaven, even the heavens, plural there again, we've studied that exhaustively, amen, are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. All right? Now, I'm going to go straight to Psalm 24 and verse number 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, 
the world and those who dwell therein. Okay, now, <laughs> you, we're going to come back to Psalm 24, so if you're turning there, go ahead and turn there and, uh, you know, stick your hand or just leave your Bible open, okay? <clears throat> I want to ex- explain something. And man, when the Lord taught me this, it really, really, you know, helped me. It, it was, um, a lot of times when we, you know, cover certain things, I'll, I'll share with you the thing the Lord taught me that really kind of opened it up and kind of you know, unlocked it, so to speak, um, you know, for me. And at first glance, you know, it, it, it seems like there's a contradiction here. Um, and just to remind you, Psalm 115 says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He's given to the children of men. Um, so it's, it seems like from this verse that Father God is saying, Look, um, heaven is, is my domain, uh, where I have dominion, and the earth is your domain where you have dominion. And, and, and so, remember he said, let them have dominion. One translation says, let them rule. Okay? Um, but then you go to Psalm 24, and it's, it, again, at first glance it seems, and we're, we're going to read some more in Psalm 24, it's going to help us, but it says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So, you know, it's like, well, which one is it, Pastor Mark? Well, there's not a contradiction here. Um, there, there's, there's an explanation, okay? And um, <clears throat> let me go back, because I think I'm, I maybe should have mentioned this earlier and, and did not. Um, a moment ago I said that God is your Father um, if you've been born again. Um, <clears throat> there, there, are, there are people who like to say we're all God's children. And in, in one sense of that expression, they're correct. Um, we're all God's children in the sense that God created us all. There's, there's no human being, there's no human life that created itself. Outside of God, there is no human being that, that would ever exist. In other words, that people ask me all the time if I believe in, in aliens or, or UFOs or life on other planets. Um, you can email me if you want to about this. I personally do not. There was a time when I did. But if, if there is, okay, our God created them. All right, so it's not like there's another God and another planet or something like that, okay? So <clears throat> if there are green men out there somewhere, then God created them green and put them on a planet that he alone has the power to cause to sustain life, okay? Um, amen. <laughs> Praise God. But the Bible says that Jesus came to his own in John the first chapter, I believe it is, verse 17, he came to his own, and his own rejected him, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to those he has given the power, the right, the privilege, ability to become children of God. So you have children of God in the general sense that, that God created all human beings. 
So you could say in that sense that all humanity are God's children. But there's a difference between being created by God and being recreated in Christ Jesus or being born again. Okay, So I, I probably should, I felt impressed to mention that earlier and did not, but I bring it up now because when we talk about the earth as the Lord's, it's, it's His from the perspective that He created it. And because He created it, it's His, it, it belongs to Him. Um, and He has the final word and will have um, the final word uh, when it comes to what transpires here on the earth and what, um, you know, he, he said go and He'll say in, He'll say stop, right, when it's, when it's time uh, for what's next, okay? Um, so this, uh, I hope it blesses you the way it, it, it blessed me. Um, how do we rectify then, how do we reconcile the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He's given to the children of men. Um, I want you to think tonight in terms of a lease agreement, a lease agreement, okay? Now, um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that the Lord has blessed us with here at Heritage is um, our family of faith. Um, we have been blessed with some commercial rental properties, and uh, we have some wonderful tenants um, in those uh, rental properties. Um, that, that we are, uh, you know, again, very thankful for. Um, those buildings are, are paid for free and clear, and so uh, that rental income uh, provides income into the, you know, church here that we then use uh, to further, you know, and build the kingdom. And then Pam and I, um, <clears throat> we also have uh, residential uh, rental property, and, um, and so there's a lease agreement that um, spells out the terms uh, for uh, a person to, to dwell or live in, in one of our rental properties or to do business out of one of our rental properties. Now, here, here is the um, unique thing about this, okay? Um, although um, I own... Um, in my case, the ones that, that Pam and I own, uh, I own uh, a, a rental property that has a tenant, and that tenant has a lease. And, and because of that, think with me now, I have to get permission from the renter to go into a property that I own in order to fix something uh, for them that, uh, that is theirs. Praise God. I just noticed that we lost uh, the camera for a moment there, but so pardon me as I, as I check my uh, status board here. So it's, it says we're perfect streaming, so there must have been some little hiccup there. Praise God. All right, so I don't know when we may have lost connection, so let me, let me go back. Um, what I was saying is when there's a, a lease agreement, the, the, the landlord, the owner of that, of that property, um, has to get permission to enter that, 
property in order to repair something for the renter. So let's say um, uh, you know, we have an issue with the uh, heating unit or a light fixture in one of the rental properties. Um, we don't just go into that rental property to fix that light without first getting permission from the person that holds the lease uh, in order to go into that uh, building uh, and repair something for them, okay? So the earth belongs to God because He created it, but as the owner, He has given a lease, if you will, to mankind. And He has declared that this earth, although it belongs to Him, that He has assigned dominion and authority over this earth to you and to me, right? Which means if we need Him to come and intervene in a situation here on the earth, that we need to ask Him, we need to invite Him, also known as prayer, we need to ask Him to come and intervene um, and uh, correct, repair, fix, uh, whatever it is that we may need Him uh, to correct, repair, or fix, uh, you know, individually in our lives or something going on in the earth at large, okay? Now, if this sounds a little strange to you, I want to, I've got a few minutes left. Let me uh, go back to Psalm 2410, 24.1, and let's, um, let's go through, praise God, let's go through uh, uh, verse 10. So let me start back at uh, verse number 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? Let me come back to you right quick. Amen. Now, remember, this is Old Testament, okay? So in their day, it was like no one. But in our day, you know, in, in, the, in the day where Jesus' blood has been shed for the removal of our sin, um, we know that we are seated together with Him in the heavenly places. I couldn't resist sharing that truth with you, all right? So let's go back to it. Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let me come back to you right quick, okay? Um, clearly there are, element, there are prophetic elements in this psalm, okay? He's, praise God, because he's talking about, ultimately, prophetically, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to purify our hands. He's going to purify, you know, think of hands as far as actions, what we do. And, and he's going to purify our hearts, okay? And, uh, and he's going to uh, make us, give to us uh, his righteousness. Uh, give us um, this gift of righteousness. Verse 6, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who, say, who seek your face, Selah. And Selah means... I guess loosely translated or, or concisely translated, um, pause to think about it, pause to think about it. Now, verse 7 is where it really begins to get interesting. Verse 7, he says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? 
the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Who is the King of glory? Um, I'm sorry, who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head. So he goes to it again. Uh, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift uh, up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. One more time. Selah. All right. Now, notice verse 7 and 9. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. All right? So, I know this may be obvious, but let me point it out. When he's talking about a gate with a head on it, he's not talking about your average uh, gate on a fence. Okay? He's talking about you and me that we become the gate, we become the doorway, we become the point of entry for the King of glory to come in. And remember where we began. We began in verse 1, the earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. But again, we have a lease on this earth and it's very important for us to become that point of entry where Father God can intervene into the affairs of mankind. So we're looking at point number three, what is man? Number one, man's a God-class being. Number two, man is a spirit being. Number three, man is a legal authority on planet Earth. And uh, we've just really kind of, you know, started to dig into that. We will uh, review what we've talked about uh, so far tonight on point number three and then dig into it even deeper on next week. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've given to us. I thank you, Father, that you're helping us understand things that are making a real difference in our lives. Father, how we see and understand ourselves. Father, that we are not physical beings trying to have a spiritual experience, but we are spirit beings living in a physical world, experiencing a physical reality. And Father, we're here on purpose. We're here for a reason. We, we, we have an assignment. And Lord, I thank you that you're helping us understand um, what we are, who we are, so that we can better fulfill why we are. Lord, I thank you again for every person that's tuned in to this class. I thank you, Father, that your words are transforming our lives through the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Tell somebody in the room around you, good things coming. If nobody, if you're watching it by yourself, riding down the road, listening to this, through the podcast, just shout it out really loud a few times. Good things coming, good things coming, good things coming. Amen. You be blessed. We'll see you either tune in tonight with us on the live stream here at Heritage at 7 or live in-person service as well as live streaming uh, Sunday morning at 1030. You be blessed.